On this third Sunday of Advent, our scripture for today's sermon is found in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read parts of that text as we start, and then I'll prompt you as we go through that just a little bit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. In Melanie and my first year of marriage, we lived in Orangeburg, South Carolina, which is between Charleston and Columbia. And Columbia being Melanie's hometown, we are fairly close to her family. And my mom lives down in Charleston, so it's a, it's a good, convenient spot. I was working for an insurance company in claims, and Melanie working for the local newspaper in their advertising department. The paper was called the Orangeburg Times and Democrat. When it became clear that the insurance company was going to keep us there in Orangeburg for a while, we decided to move from our little townhouse that we were renting and to purchase our very first home. We looked and looked and we, we found the perfect house and drove by it lots of times, but it was too expensive. Finally, they reduced the price and it became affordable and we put a contract on it and, and bought it. It was a low country style cottage with a, a wide front porch all across the front, three dormers, colored pale yellow with Charleston green shutters. We had two rockers on the front porch, and on the other side of the porch, a swing, and out back, I had a hammock off of the deck and a big fenced-in yard. It was just all you could ever want as a young couple. We were very thankful for that house. Well, in 1995, the Lord called us to Richmond to begin seminary, And as you've heard me share the story before, we quit our jobs and sold our house and moved to Richmond to start the work at BTSR, the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond. Several years ago, while down in South Carolina visiting family over Christmas, we generally travel the week after Christmas to see all of our family. We were driving from Columbia, from Melanie's family, down to visit my mom in Charleston. And we realized that our daughter, Isabella, had never seen our first house. So we decided to get off of the interstate at Orangeburg and drive by that little yellow Cape Cod house that we so loved. I remembered how to get to the subdivision, turned into the entrance, went to the back where our circle was, turned onto our circle, and said, Isabella, it's right up here on the left. And I got to the end of the circle 
where I had started and realized I had driven right by. Now, I knew my memory wasn't that bad, or it had gotten that much older so that the trees were that much bigger. So I said, okay, well, let's go real slow this time. So we started on the circle again and went, saw our neighbor's houses and then came up to where our house used to be. It was an empty lot. I couldn't believe it. Like, where's our house? <laughs> so I got out of the car, and on the ground, tipped over, was a real estate sign. Wendell, as a real estate agent, I know you don't like it when the signs tip over. That's not a good thing. People uh, had allowed the sign to tip over. I got the phone number off of the real estate sign, got back in the car, and called it, and somebody answered. And I told them the situation, where we were, who I was, and they said, oh yeah, that house burned. And it was suspicious. Nobody was hurt, but they had to tear it down. We were just shocked. Couldn't believe that our first house was no longer there. I'm happy to say that someone has purchased the lot and has rebuilt and there's a new home on that lot for someone to enjoy today but for just a while there things were not as they should have been we had gone back to a place in our memory that was special and things were not as they had been I kind of wish I didn't go but I did for some of you things are not the way they have been. Maybe things are not the way that they should be in your circumstances. Like us, you will identify with today's text. This passage from the prophet Isaiah speaks to a people who had come home from bondage, from exile, Babylonian exile, and found that things were broken and in disrepair in Jerusalem. Things were not as they had been, and things were certainly not as they were supposed to be. Isaiah had prophesied that Judah, the southern kingdom, would fall at the hands of the Babylonians. This was in 598-97 B.C., and the, the first deportation of the royal family and many officials and leading citizens of Judah, where Jerusalem was located, were taken captive. The Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem, its walls and temple would be no more. More people were taken captive to Babylon. Many Jewish people still did remain in and around Jerusalem, but they were prisoners of a foreign land. Lots of those who remained behind were farmers and working class people. Often the people were ridiculed and tormented by the Babylonians. This is what we call the Babylonian exile or the second exile. The first being when the Israelites were enslaved under the pharaohs of Egypt. The Babylonian exile lasted until the Persians, led by King Cyrus, defeated the Babylonians in 539 B.C., King Cyrus ended the exile and gave permission for the Jewish exiles to return to their land if they so desired. Cyrus issued a royal decree stating that the people would be free to do that 
and he would authorize the rebuilding of the temple as well. In 2 Chronicles 36, 22 and 23, you hear these words. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what the king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. When the people came back to settle their land, they mourned for what was. The city was in shambles. The wall torn down, their temple destroyed, but that was not all. The people mourned the loss of their culture their history, their livelihoods, their family picture albums were just not the same. Scholar John Berquist, who did a lot of research for this particular time period, writes that three major groups emerged in this time and that their struggles added to their sadness and the mourning. There were priestly immigrants, political immigrants, and then the natives who had stayed. Each of these groups had a vision of what it wanted the new Jerusalem to look like and to become. Thus, there was a struggle for control in society. This was made even more difficult because of the language and cultural barriers. People didn't understand one another. Because of their divisions, the people of God, fellow Israelites, could not come together as one people to rebuild their temple. One commentator states that the mourning meaning sadness and grief, in Isaiah 61, rises out of frustration and humiliation over the failure to rebuild the city and the temple to match its former glory and the failure to reconcile the economic disparities and the religious and political factions in the city. The reality of life in Jerusalem was nothing like the expectations envisioned by those who had returned from exile. This leads us to the words of Isaiah. He provided the hope that these people would seek to be comforted and consoled in the midst of their brokenness and despair. Although Isaiah and the prophets he trained had to bear news of God's judgment upon the people of Jerusalem and Judah earlier, the good news of God's salvation, grace, righteousness, and redemption filled this book of prophecy These words point God's people to a new hope and a joyful vision of a new messianic kingdom where God's order would again be restored. The comfort God's anointed servant instructed to provide to the despairing in Jerusalem would change the way people would see themselves, the way they are regarded by others, and the ways they act. Instead of having ashes on their heads, a sign of humiliation and grief, They are given a festive headdress or a garland. They are treated as honored guests and anointed with the oil of gladness. To replace their dull spirits, they are given mantles of praise. They are to be treated as they are to become, other than the humiliated, fragmented, dispirited, and exploitative people that they currently are. Then they will accomplish what is needed and what has been too difficult Rebuilding Jerusalem as a city where righteousness and justice would flourish. 
The urgency and the enormity of of this building task are underscored in the description of what the comforted mourners will raise up and repair the former devastations, the devastations of many generations. You and I might not be able to see these devastations of ancient Jerusalem today, right where we are, but we can see the devastations in our world today. Places like Syria and Somalia, torn by decades of war, crumbled buildings and streets in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, mile after mile of car-gated dwellings outside Cape Town, South Africa, street children in Brazil, racial, religious, and political division in our country today, disparity in our public school systems, unaffordable housing, the lack of good public transit for many people who live in our counties, and food deserts right in the middle of the city of Richmond. Places like Houston, Puerto Rico, and California who have been devastated by natural disaster, and places like Las Vegas, Sutherland Springs, Texas, Orlando, Florida, and New York City that have experienced such tragedy. And the many losses and griefs that we ourselves right here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church have sustained over this past year. We know of the devastations. We feel the grief. But as God's hopeful people, we know that a new future is possible because God promises to be in an everlasting covenant with us. Isaiah points us to a new hope in an everlasting God. A new hope that will be fulfilled by the anointed one who was to come. And his name is Jesus and he is our hope. The suffering servant spoken of and written of in the prophets of of Isaiah. the, the, The one who is our hope. It is through the Spirit of God at work in us that we will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Through Christ, righteousness and praise will spring up throughout all generations. So the prophet is dealing with the situation at hand uh, historically and contextually, but the prophet points us as his people to a new covenant in Christ Jesus that provides a new tomorrow, a new hope, a new vision, a new way of living. I see renewed hope in these prophesied words. They give us cause for joy as his people. There are several causes for joy that I want to highlight that I see in this passage today. The first one is a radical reversal. A radical reversal of what was to what is or can be. The scripture starting in verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You see the reversal. Bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom to the captives. And to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. The captives were the exiled people. The prisoners were Jewish prisoners of war released by Persia. The year of the Lord's favor reflects back to Leviticus 25 and the Jubilee year where every 49 years 
there was, everything stopped. And on the 50th year, there was, the, the servants were freed and debts were let go. And God would provide as they uh, awaited on even the ground to have a sabbatical. The year of the Lord's favor. And the day of the vengeance of our God, uh, we can translate this as the, the, the rescue of God's people by God. And God comforting all of those who were mourning, the, the bereaved and the sad over what was. God would point to them what would become. There's a radical reversal. That's the way our God is. And there's a radical transformation that we see happening in the next part of this prophecy, starting in the second part of, of uh, verse 3. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Can you imagine what that would be like? The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And I believe you and I are called to be oaks of righteousness. To grow deep root systems. To be strong in the Lord. And to provide shade and rest for those who are in need. And then I see a radical mission in the text. In verse 4, a radical mission. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated and will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You see those three R words, rebuild, restore, renew. To rebuild is something that is to be completed in the future. To restore is something will rise up and stand firm. And to renew is to be made new to be brand new, a mission of transformation. We are called to radical mission. Where people who see radical mission take place stop and wonder the reason we do it. Earlier this year, our church participated in the Touched Twice Clinic. And we call it Touched Twice Clinic here at HRBC because we don't just minister to somebody once and we're over with. Meaning we follow up and we care for them as best as we can during that time that they are, our guests are here on Saturday at church as well as in other ways as we minister to them subsequently. The clinic is in September and we started our second clinic last year in Oregon Hill to minister to the homeless population and we, we uh, held that again this fall for the second time. The clinic provides medical services, home goods, encouragement, groceries, school supplies, meals, and I could go on and on. Haircuts, uh, we've had people that do massage. We have people who do blood pressure checks, eye examinations, Sugar level checks on, on their blood and on and on. And it's an amazing, transforming ministry. And it's radical because we are inviting the entire community to come. And we're saying our doors are open for you and we love you and we want to serve you. And then another way that our ministry is radical is doing something that's not maybe fun. When you think about youth going out to rake leaves... 
but not long ago, our youth group got together and went out on a Saturday and spent most of their entire afternoon and evening ministering to members of our congregation who needed their yards raked. And believe me, there were lots of leaves out there, and our youth did a great job. It's just one more way that our church is on mission. And not only a radical mission, but I see in this text a radical community. If you go to Luke chapter 4, on your own time, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16, you'll see Jesus visiting his hometown of Nazareth early in his ministry, the first year of his ministry. And while in the synagogue on that day, he picked up the scroll, or it was actually handed to him, and he went to Isaiah 61, our text for today, and read what we have as verses 1 and 2. And then he put the scroll away and he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in, basically in me. And then a little later in that passage, he refers to how prophets are often rejected in their hometown. And how in the Old Testament, there was the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. And both of them ministered to people outside of the Jewish family. And in that passage in Luke's gospel, referring to this prophecy from Isaiah, Jesus is saying there's a new kingdom coming. And it's not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. This is radical community. In the, in the, for, for people who want to pick and choose, it is no more. This is a radical community. And I want to look at verses 8 through 11 as we uh, listen to what Isaiah prophesies. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. That points us to the new covenant in Christ Jesus, the one to come. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I believe that we can see that that the church is included in this and that we are part of this wonderful ministry that that will be, be, be through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself for her, with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. I wanted to focus on the last couple of verbs in that passage there. They are in the Hebrew are hyphial verbs. And they are used here as causative verbs that show us that the Lord is the one who causes oaks of righteousness to grow. That the Lord is the one who causes a, a seed to sprout up. And praise to spring up before all the nations. These are causative verbs that our God desires for a radical transformation, a radical mission, and a radical community. And He has called us to be a part of that. This is a community for all people. John Chandler a friend of mine and um, also the leader of the Ray and Ann Spence Leadership Network for Virginia Baptists writes in one of his books, Isaiah's oracle of hope to a downtrodden Israel was a vision of hope 
to a beaten down people that they would soon become like oaks and gardens. Through the work of the same divine spirit that created order out of the chaos, Genesis 1-2, and deliverance from oppression, Exodus 14-21, would come radical reversal and good news to the oppressed, brokenhearted, and captive prisoners of, our, of the people of God. They would become priests and ministers who are saved by God to serve the world, and that's you and me. We are saved by God to serve the world. Saved by God to serve the world. Jesus cited this vision in his inaugural sermon in Luke 4, 16 and following, and he was run out of town for preaching it. And that might happen to you and me too. But yet we continue this radical vision. When the lost, the least, and the last are to receive prominent place in the treatment of the new community of God, spoken by Isaiah, the special, chosen, and the religiously pure cry foul, forgetting that they too once were lost, and the least, and the last. And I see this radical community at work at HRBC. This community is made possible because God has promised to be in an everlasting covenant with us. God has provided us the appropriate work clothes, garments of salvation, and robes of righteousness. And here at HRBC, in this community, people put on their work clothes to provide a seed of hope that righteousness might spring up right where it is planted. The Christmas store at the South Richmond Baptist Center is just one example of how our radical community is at work. Was it 38 bicycles that were donated and transported, Wesley, down to you all? Thank you for your ministry at the Baptist Center. And I think something like 19 or 20 helmets and a lot of other things that uh, families who don't have much means could come and purchase and uh, really help them out during this season. It's a wonderful ministry that this church undertakes, and I'm so pleased to see that it is an outpouring of this radical community. And then one other example is the prayer shawl ministry that we have. There are, I don't know, 20, 25 women who meet, and it's sort of under the radar, and they knit these prayer shawls, and we'll put a label on it that it's from our church, and then they write a, a prayer that goes with it. And when we go out and visit our homebound, we take these prayer shawls, and if you could just see the joy on the faces of the people who receive these prayer shawls, knowing that you all have prayed over them as you have knitted them, is just, it's just a blessing. Church, thank you for what you do. Thank you that you put on the work clothes of righteousness and justice and mission and ministry and that you do things to make life better and to make a difference in our community and beyond. God bless you for it. How can you and I, how can you and I continue to be oaks of righteousness? How can you and I continue to be a planting of the Lord that will cause the seed of joy to grow up within someone? How can you and I continue to put on our spiritual work clothes to bring joy to someone's heart? Let us pray.